Man, what happened to my front rows? Yeah, the Haywards are gone on vacation, and there's plenty of seats here on the front rows if anybody wants to, like, move up here. I can't promise that I won't spit on you, but... Uh, yeah, the Haywards usually sitting right there. Uh, if you were... Just a couple more prayer prayer things. Uh... Pray for my dad. And my mom's doing good. And thanks for asking about her. She's doing good. She's still living with Heidi, my sister, and um, she's pretty stable right now, which is good. My dad had back surgery this last week, and they thought they were just going to go clean some stuff out, but they ended up putting a couple of rods and four screws in his back, and so the rehab's going to be a little bit longer than he was expecting to. But he lives in Paris, Paris, Texas, that is. So uh, pray for him and his recovery and. Uh, He's just at a little hospice center right now, now getting rehab. So, uh, and then uh, pray for my friend Todd. Just remember Todd. Uh, they didn't get the news that they were hoping for this last week, but you've probably heard that. And I know that you all are praying and just continue to support their family and um, just trust the Lord with them. So, uh, last week I was very impressed with you. We did the Lord's Supper in the middle of the teaching. I thought you might get distracted from it uh, as it was distributed, but you guys did really good. And we were able to actually talk about number 12 and number 13 ceremonies of the Passover meal. The 12th one being the Safoon, that was where the actual cup was, or excuse me, the bread was passed. The off-common was like broken in half, taken away, then brought back, and they partook in the bread the Safoon, and then you had the Bayrock. The Bayrock was the next cup that was taking place, and the Lord passed that and said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And so we experienced the Lord's Supper, what some of you refer to as the Last Supper. It's not going to be the Last Supper because Jesus says, I'm going to partake of it again when I return, when he returns to during the millennial reign here on earth, but let me go to you and tell you what Paul says about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that, my friends, is why the Lord's Supper is one of our two ordinances that we practice here at Levener. The other one being baptism, because he tells us to go and baptize. So the Lord's Supper is something that we will continue to do here. It will be something that we continue to do even when Jesus returns. Because the Passover meal actually is something that God commanded the Jews to do forever. To remind them about that experience of leaving Egypt. Now... You've taken the Lord's Supper many times over your life, I'm assuming. I mean, I, I have personally, 
growing up in a Baptist church, it's not like we did it every week. We probably did it once a quarter, very similar to what we do here. But in the taking of those elements, I think that it's really, really easy for us to take that juice, wine, whatever it is, and understand that that is God, that that is Jesus' blood poured out for us, right? His blood poured out for us, and it does what? It does what? Jesus' blood does what? What? I can't hear. Cleanse, forgive. It forgives, it forgives us of our sins. That's, that's real easy to understand. But what about the bread? The bread. I've come to learn more recently in my life, you know, I, I, I've always treasured the drinking of the juice, which was second. You always remember that you wash down the bread with the cup, so it's always second. Just remember that. Uh, it was always easy to do the juice, but now the bread seems like it's more important to me than the, the juice. And here's why. I want to take you to a passage in Romans chapter 7, the first four verses there. And I want you to look at this because this is huge why the bread is important in the Passover. It says this in Romans 7.1. Don't get lost in this. I'll try to help you through it. Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. This is not a teaching about divorce or anything like this. He is using this as an illustration and a story. He says, So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... She's free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, based upon what you understand about the relationship between a husband and a wife and the wife being a widow and being able to remarry, therefore, based upon what you understand, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. He just said that you were put to death. When were you put to death? The moment you believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was the Savior, you, Galatians 2.20 says, you have, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Did you hear that? The moment that I believed, I was crucified with Christ, just like you. We were crucified. And Paul's sitting here saying in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who is raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
Now, let's, <laughs> let's, let me really break this down for you. You were born with what kind of a nature? Good. You were born with a sinful nature. Who did you inherit that from? Adam. We were created really in the image of Adam. We were created with a sinful nature. No one taught us how to sin. It was just natural for us to sin. Now, here's what you have to understand that I believe most, I'm saying this pastorally speaking, most Christians probably don't understand this right here. What separated you from God? Hmm. Was it your sin or was it your sinful nature? Was it your sin or was it your sinful nature? I believe that most Christians believe the first time that they sin, it's what separated them from God. That's not true. The thing that separated you from God was your sinful nature. The moment you are born with a sinful nature, you're separated, and you inherited that from Adam. There was nothing that you could do about it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room was born with a sinful nature and separated from God. And because of that, because of that, you grew up having to understand the law. You grew up under, having to understand the law. And he, and Paul's sitting here saying, some of you were like Jews, you were like married to the law, capital L, that being the law of Moses, the law of Moses that was given to the Jews. So you are raised up underneath the law. But the moment that you died, the moment you died, you're no longer under the law. Because now you have been set free so that you can marry another. That being the new covenant. That being that Jesus Christ would come and he would send his spirit and he would move inside of you and you would do just as Luke said, you would walk by the spirit. He died. He gave up his body for you so that you also could die to the law and have life in Christ. Take this bread. This is my body broken for you. Yeah, the cup forgives sin, but that sinful nature has to be dealt with first. That bread comes first. Let's deal with the sinful nature first. And then we'll take care of the forgiveness of all the sin. It's the sinful nature that separates us from God. And because we die, because we believe, everything changed. Now look, once I believe, my sinful nature is no longer here. We use the word eradicated, totally moved. It's gone. It's not around. I have a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation in Christ. 
old things have passed away. Something passed away when I died on the cross, right? Explain what that is. What passed away? It had to be my sinful nature. Now, I get it. You're sitting there saying, so are you saying you don't sin anymore because you're a new creation? No, I still sin. I still make bad choices. I still get crazy thoughts up here. I still have a battle that's going on right here, and sometimes I choose to be selfish, and I act upon my own flesh, and I sin. As a new creation, I sin. Did you hear that? I'm not saying that Satan's doing that in me or through me. I made that choice. And when I make it, when I make it, it doesn't line up with my new nature. It doesn't line up with who I am. It may feel good for a second, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit with who I am. And because of that, watch this. I don't ask for forgiveness because he forgave me one time. But I do repent. There's a big difference between forgiveness and repent. I repent, and repent basically says, I change my mind. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. There's even more pressure off of me here because it says repentance comes from the kindness of God. Who even grants repentance? God does. He causes me to repent. It's my new nature that causes me to repent. And all repentance is just a change of mind. I don't want to do it anymore. Okay, I keep doing the same thing over and over and over. Lord, I need you to do this in my life. I keep blowing this, I keep blowing this, but it is, it's really on you to keep me from doing it. It's his responsibility, watch this, it's his responsibility to, one, keep me saved, which he promises he's going to do. It's his responsibility to lead me to repentance. He's already forgiven me. He died one time. He dealt with the whole sin issue. So what I have to do now is I have to learn how to live in that life of Christ. It is a new law. Not the old law, but a new law. He sits here and says in Romans, he says, you were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. That another is the law of Christ. That another is the spirit living in me telling me how to live my life. If we can figure that thing out, it changes the whole church. Really. If we, if we just stop living in the cup only and the forgiveness... I, I, and we realize that Christ will do this in the church, you have no idea what would happen to the church. It would blow up. But we sit there and get stuck in the cup only, and Lord, just keep forgiving us. Lord, take care of my sin. Wait, do you realize who you are? Do you realize what you got? Do you realize that he wants to live his life through you? Figure it out. Spirit, I pray that you cause us to see that even more clearly today. And then, so Jesus is just now finished. Watch this. 
Jesus has just now finished the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, as part of the Passover. There are still a couple more ceremonies that need to happen at the end of the Passover meal. Judas has already left. Jesus said, Judas, go do your thing. He got up and left before the Last Supper, so Judas isn't even there. But then we look in Luke chapter 22, and right after he says, do this in remembrance of me, here's what happens. It says, then a dispute. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's the way it happens, right? You have a beautiful moment in here, and then you go outside, and all of a sudden it just hits the fan. This is what happened here. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. They just had the Lord's Supper, and they're sitting there like, which one of us is like going to be number one to Jesus? It says, but he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. In other words, he just said, stop. Stop what you're doing. He says, on the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He just sat there and said, you're asking who's the greatest at the table? Really, you're going to like question whether or not you guys are the greatest at the table? The ones laying here being served or they're actually the one serving? Remember, Jesus is the one that washed their feet. Jesus is the one that literally served them the meal. He says, But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now here's what happened. They're sitting there arguing about how do we become the greatest, and Jesus is basically saying to them, stop it. I have modeled for you about service. I have asked you to be one of my 12. Understanding that you are going to suffer greatly. You, He's told them all along, you will suffer in my name. But watch this. If Judaism teaches the theology is the more that you can attain wealth-wise monetarily things like the pharisees they were always about collecting things because it's what got them to heaven and jesus is saying to these 12 forget that quit trying to collect things look you don't have a place to lay your head if you follow me you're gonna suffer he's literally telling them to change his theology you remember the traveling salesman right before the cross He comes and says, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Jesus says, obey the law. And he goes, well, I've done that my whole life. Yeah, whatever. And then Jesus says, go sell everything you've got. Jesus is literally asking this man to change his theology, to change the way that he's been raised, to change the way that he's thinking. 
And it's the same thing that he's doing to these 12 disciples. And he's saying this. He promises them this. He's like, look, it's going to get bad. And you're going to serve. But in the end, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You're, you're going to walk through this, this mystery kingdom called the church. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and some crazy things are going to be happening. And literally, they're going to die a martyr's death. All of them died a martyr's death except for John. But when I come back, when I come back during the, my reign here on earth, which hasn't happened yet. Jesus is going to reign a thousand years. Look it up, Revelation 20. He's sitting here saying to these disciples, each one of you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys are going to be like sitting pretty come millennial kingdom. It's going to be rough beforehand, but when I come back with all the church, you guys, you 12, got you covered quit arguing amongst yourself just stop it and then we jump to john chapter 13 remember we're taking the gospel sewing together sequential order chronological order chapter 13 verse 31 it says when he had left who's he judas when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. What event are we talking about? We're talking about the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. Watch this. God's getting ready to be glorified through the Son. And the Son is getting ready to be glorified through His Father. How's that work? Just like Luke was talking about up here. These things that you've seen me do, that was my Father that was doing it through me. Re remember my envelope that sits in the front of my Bible? This right here? You got God? This is how it works. And inside of God is Jesus. And inside of Jesus, my daughter made this, is Chloe. This is the way we live our life. The things that you see Chloe do, the things that you see Rusty do, the things that you see Luke do, the things that you see believers do, it's done in Christ. If it's not, it's done in our flesh and it's done selfishly. And that stuff all gets burned up in the end. If it's done in Christ, who's doing it? God's doing it. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying right here. I'm getting ready to be crucified, but my Father is going to be glorified through it. I'm going to be glorified through my Father. The crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And he says, children, I, he calls the disciples children. It's awesome. Children, I am with you just a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I will tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. 
they couldn't go to the cross. Oh, look, they're eventually going to die, and they're eventually going to be where Jesus is. But what Jesus is saying right now is, you can't take this on, what I'm getting ready to do. Me and the Father, we've already talked. I'm doing this for you. He says, here we go. I give you a new command. <laughs> I give you a new command. Wait. We had the law, right? The Ten Commandments and everything else. Who is the only person that lived the law out perfectly? Jesus. Jesus had to do that so he could be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Jesus got up on the cross. He was crucified, and he died for us, and he died for the law, just as we read in Romans chapter 7. But right before he dies, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. <laughs> Forget the, all that law stuff, but I'm giving you a new commandment. Why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would he do that? Well, let's re read the commandment. He says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, here's the issue. Is we have a problem loving one another. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. I just took 36 campers and 18 adults to camp. Some of them are easy to love. Some of them are not. Right? I mean, you get it, right? Everybody's going, was he talking about me? <laughs> Just let that simmer there for a little bit. How are we supposed to love one another? How... It's not possible for me to love everybody the same. Oh, yes, it is. Because if I do it myself, I fail. If I do it with Christ living in me, I win. How do I love all 54 the same? It's not me doing it. It's Christ in me doing it. This new commandment I give to you. Watch. If you make this a law like Mosaic law, okay, now that I'm a Christian, I have to love everybody. One, you're going to fail. And two, it's not going to be apparent that you're a disciple of Jesus. If you literally let Jesus work through your life and you learn how to love even those who are unlovable, then everybody goes, wow, there's something different about that person. They must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you can live your life trying to work the law, or you can live your life in Christ and let him do it through you, and it's two totally different perspectives. You see that? I always taught, go love, go love. You have to love. That's your duty. That's your responsibility as a Christian. You have to love everybody. Fooey on that doesn't work the only way it works 
love Jesus, and he'll teach me and cause me and love others through me. That's the way it works. It's the way it works. I also think, too, they're sitting there at the Last Supper. They're sitting there at the Last Supper, and their Savior, their Messiah, their friend, their mentor is getting ready to go to the cross and die. It's a whole lot easier to love one another at the point of crisis. Like uh, Beth Speckman's father just died this week. It's easy for that family to come together and to love one another at the point of crisis. Todd got some pretty crappy news this week. It's easy come around in love on the Dolbear family. I think what he's telling them right here is, guys, if you depend on me, that's the only way it works. If it's about you and your situation, probably not going to work. And then the last thing I want to cover today is this is Jesus begins to predict this is where Peter's going to deny Christ. I take the three passages of Scripture out of Matthew, John, and Luke and and kind of tie them together here. He says in Matthew 26, verse 31, he says, Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written. It is written in prophecy, actually in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, it says, and Jesus says this. He's quoting Zechariah the prophet. He says, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. In other words, Jesus is going to come and be arrested, and all the disciples are going to run. That's prophecy. And it happened. Just one of the many things that happened based upon what we read in the Old Testament. Verse 32 it says, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, If you're one of those disciple boys, you're sitting there like saying, you just heard him quote Zechariah, which they already knew. And he says, all of y'all are going to like leave me and you're going to like, and every one of them are going, there's no way I'm not leaving you. And they never heard the second part. Like if you're, if you're totally, you know what I'm saying? When you hear something, you you, you do that in this message all along. (laughs) You, You get focused on one thing, but Jesus sat there and said to them, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. In other words, I'm going to see you in Galilee. Well, it took him a whole week to figure out that Jesus told him to go to Galilee after he died. They totally missed that thing. They were so distracted with the accusation that Jesus made about their behavior, they didn't hear the instruction to go to Galilee. And then, of course... Peter says, Peter told them, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. There's Peter again. There's that spirit. Get out of the boat. I trust Jesus. I can walk on water. He's the man. And Jesus said to him, directly to Peter, he had to like look him in the eye and say, truly, I tell you, 
I just his heart had to have been broken because he knew what was coming. He says, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I look at John thirteen, thirty six, it says, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, Where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter, in other words, you're going to deny me, but I know that you're going to come back and you're going to follow me. And you know the beautiful thing about that was? Who was the first person that Jesus showed up to, first disciple that Jesus showed up to when he was raised from the dead? Peter. That's the first person that he went to. He's like, you're not going to follow me right now. You're going to, like, deny me. You're going to leave me, but you'll be back. I know it. It's all good. <laughs> He's Peter, he says, Lord, Peter asks, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I, I jump to Luke 22, verse 31. It says, Simon, Simon. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Simon, Simon, look out. Be careful. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy of you of all people. Peter, he wants to destroy you. Peter is one of the disciples that was crucified, and he's like, I don't want to be crucified like my father. And they crucified him upside down. Jesus is saying, Peter, it's going to be a battle. And he's coming for you. I know you love me, but you keep your head up. You watch. Because it's coming. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers when you figure this thing out and you, you've walked away, you've denied, you can hear that rooster crow, it's going to be a bad deal. You're going to go back to your brothers. And I've already told you back at, at the mountain that you've been given the keys to the church. It's, it's you, Peter. It, it, it's you. You're the rock. Petra, that's your name. Petra, you're the rock. But it's going to be tough. Peter's been given the keys to the church. Verse 33, it says, Lord told him, I'm ready to go with Peter told him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times. That you know me. That, that's a rough word to handle, right? The go-get-em guy. The one that's gonna, always going to be there for the Lord. 
And your hero, your Messiah, your Savior says, mm, you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. You're going to bail on me. But I have confidence in you that you'll come back around. And you're going to lead a mighty, mighty church. It's going to happen through you. You're the one that's going to take this message right here, not only to the Jews, but you're going to take it to the Gentiles. You're going to be the first one. Even though Paul's like the main Gentile, you're going to be the first one, Peter. I'm going to do it through you. Jesus said, you may give up on me momentarily, but I'll never give up on you. I believe in you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Father, I pray that um, that uh, there's there's people out here that are struggling just with one, the simple identity of who they are. I pray, one, they understand they're forgiven. Two, that you've come to um, live your life through them, even when we fail, even when we look to other things aside from you. I pray that you give us faith. I pray that you give us repentance. I pray that you give us trust and that you would just do a mighty work through your family, this family right here. Let us be encouraged. Let us love one another so it's apparent that we are your disciples. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.